The last session is going to be on how does my yes affect eternity. And so I'm going to cover two yeses, two different types of yeses, your quick obedience yes and your strategic planned yes. We've talked about both those today. The first one is your quick obedience. That's what Travis was just talking about is jumping off the train, going 120 miles an hour because the Holy Spirit told you to. Now, pause right there. I have to take care of some house business. I forgot to do my house business. Do you know what house business is? It's business of the house. I was going to deal with it, but they're not here. But Travis is tired of listening to me talk. He's gone. Okay, when he's not here, remind me when they come back. Oh, there, see, he come back in. He was back there taking, what were you eating? You're watching the, I just, you don't have to come in. You just stand right there. So I've, I've been traveling full-time around the world for 17 years of my 32 years of ministry. And I know what hospitality is, and I know what hospitality isn't. I've tasted of both ends of the rainbow. <laughs> the one end of the rainbow has gold on it. The other end has fertilizer. I have been on both sides of the rainbow. I've been in a church before, and the pastor met me at the door and said, Who are you? I'm Bob Johnson. Oh, you weren't who, who I thought you were. Well, I guess we'll have you anyway. Oh, it was so encouraging. I was so, I felt so much love at that church. I've been in another church. I was met at the door by the pastor, a very large church. He said, now we don't do the Holy Ghost stuff here. I said, all right. So I went back to the car for a minute. And I said, Holy Spirit, I need you to stay here. I said, but trust me on this, but it's okay. Just stay here. I'm going to go and manipulate them and get all their money because they're not going to use their money for what they need to, so I'm going to go ahead and take it. <laughs> so I went in, and I told story after story. I had those people crying, and they give me a big old fat offering. I got back in the car. The Holy Spirit said, how'd you do? I said, I did pretty good. <laughs> so I've been to all kind of churches. I've been to... Man, I, I could write a book on places I've been that I would not want to even remember. Unfortunately, I do. But seldom have I been to a place where we have been treated the gold part of the rainbow like with Travis and Jessica. They have absolutely shot the moon, hung the bar high from... Everything you can imagine, having enough sparkling water to float Noah's Ark, because they know I love sparkling water, from just how my sheets are folded back with little chocolate. I mean, just, they didn't do that far, but that's a hint for next time. <laughs> to the detail that they've gone to uh, love us and make us welcome, I just want to give accolades and say, you guys are the hostesses with the mostesses. Let's give it up for these guys who are amazing. And amazing. Yeah. 
And, and their generosity is astounding. Lots of times, pastors that I know and meet, they want to hang on to some. But he just wants to give and give and continue to give and to give. Both of them do. And it's just, it is, God is taking copious notes. So keep dreaming and it will come. Thank you guys. And then I want to secondly thank you all because, again, we've been doing this a long time. I've been doing it a whole long time. And so it's really fun to be at a place where people are actually hungry for God. I'm serious. It's just a very nice place fun thing to do that you're going, you're, you're expecting, anticipating, and, and writing, and, and going, yes, 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 more, more, yes, instead of, are we done yet, are we done yet, are we done yet? So, kudos, my hat's off to y'all, all y'all. That's house business. All right. So, And we had also a phenomenal luncheon yesterday with many pastors from this area, and several of them have come, and I want to thank you guys. What, baby, come up and say it then, because I can't read lips, honey, and you know I can't hear out of this ear or this ear. So my wife's going to come and take care of some house business. Oh, just, just to David and your bride, where are you? Oh, he's not here. Well, to David and his bride for letting us use the church and the building and the facility and all that. Multiple leaders. There's like, if you're the leader of either a church or an uh, organization ministry, would you stand up? No, you guys are. Don't be, don't be shy. See, that's pretty rad to have that many leaders coming together. So thank you guys so much for being here. We just honor you guys. And uh, Jessica and I want to just thank our team from the Awakening. That's, they have made all this happen and uh, just served their hearts out. Sound, food, chairs, all, everything. So I just want to recognize the Awakening folks. We love you guys. Thank you for serving so well. We're just a group of bunch of accolades. We love it. Amen. Affirmation, baby. It's our love language. Okay, so the last thing we're going to talk about is, does my yes and how does it affect eternity? My quick obedience and then my planned yes. The difference between the two, Travis gave you an example of quick obedience, jumping off the train at 120 miles an hour to follow the orphans smoking a cigarette. That's when the Holy Spirit says, jump. You say, yes, sir. How high? That's quick obedience. How does that affect your eternity? And how do those add up to affect attorney? And then the second one is your planned strategic yeses. That's what we've been talking about, how to orchestrate or how to better discipline your life so you can, at the end of your days, say, I did what I was supposed to do. I am an offering poured out before the Lord. How many, that's what one of your dreams is to be, is I was an offering totally poured out, like Paul said. I've been spent, poured out, done. Well, my last day, my first last day, which would be 120 years, and I'll reevaluate after that. If I can still do a one-arm push-up at 120, I might stay a little longer. You know what I'm saying? Amen. Come on, wait. I only have one person I can identify with right here, so that's all right. You can do one arm, right? You can do one arm push-up. Okay, I got two, three. Where's the where's the strength coach? Yeah, okay, three, four of us. Okay, come on, baby. You know what I'm saying? You feel my pain? All right. So, sweetheart, that's. No. 
I'll show you later. It's a, it's a little thing I'll show it later. You know how it does. You know what I'm saying? It's going to get the motion and the... It's going to get thing Anyway, it's my birthday. It's my birthday. I get to unwrap presents tonight. I meant present. Okay, I'll stop right there. Where was I? Before the anointing hit me. Shabbat. Calm yourself. So, I was somewhere at 120 years. Oh, the strategic, yes. We have, we have things that we're going to be able to bring to Jesus. It's called the crown. Cast at his feet. Be all the obedience, the steps of faith that we did. And so, I really don't want it to be said, well, you could have, if you would have, and you should have. I want it to be said, way to go, son. You are awesome. You remind me a lot of your older brother, Jesus. Come here. That's, that's what I want him to say of me on that day. And so it's two ways. It's that quick obedience yeses and the strategic yeses. They correlate. God uses them both and meshes them together into a phenomenal, harmonious union, but they're distinct in nature. I could be very diligent and disciplined and being a great soldier and obey quickly, but then I have no strategic plan. So all I do is obey quickly, but I, I'm, I'm so broad, I'm, I'm really not focused on anything of my call. So it's completely different in uh, how I relate to them, but they still work together, and the Holy Spirit meshes and brings them together, uh, so it's a stronger bond. So the first thing is with your obedient yes. As uh, I think you asked about, we have the authority, but... How do we walk in an authority until we really have it? Well, you start with the small thing. You start with the little voice that God tells you to do. When I started out in ministry, I was in Weaverville with my brother, a little small town in California, and I was the associate pastor. It was my job to do everything that my brother didn't want to do. But I was happy to do it because I was fresh out of Bible college, and I was just excited to have a job, even though it didn't pay much and it was only part-time. And then I had to work at a gas station for Chris Valentin. That's hell in a basket right there. <laughs> God, help me. Well, I, I couldn't deal with them very much, so sometimes I'd pick them up and fold them up and put them in a trash can. You know. Anyway, that's under the blood. <laughs> We're good buddies now, but back then, not so much. So it was my job, and just quick obedience, is to hear what my brother would say, and I, I would just hear him think, or he would think out loud, and I would get done things that he would ask or think. And so he had to be careful what he thought of, because usually he'd express it out loud, and if he expressed his thought out loud, when he came back the next day, I would have it done. And so he had to be real careful, because sometimes he would think, and I wouldn't actually try to figure it out, I just get it done. Like we bought a piece of property in the land and the trees needed to get cleared. And he made and mentioned at a meeting one time, he said, you know, we need to cut those trees down. They were already marked. So I got a buddy of mine, we went out on our day off and we hacked those trees down. We probably cut 150 of them. It was awesome. I felt like Paul Bunyan. 
I had my big 48-inch Husqvarna chainsaw. Man, I'm ready to... I'm just cutting these things down. Little did I know that you're supposed to have a permit to cut all those things down. <laughs> Yay, thank you for grace. Thank you, Jesus. It's under the blood, under the blood. So he had to be careful about what he thought out loud because I would just hear it. And my job for him was the Elisha Elijah. Elisha's job was to wash the prophet's hand and his feet. That's all he was supposed to do was wash his hands and his feet and to serve him. And as he would do that faithfully, double portion was coming. So I understood my, my service and my job was to do whatever it took and not complain, just to see how I could fit in and serve, whether it was clogged toilets or something needed to be cleaned or something needed to be done or something needed to be fixed or something needed to be made better, faster, stronger. I'm going to get her done. Even to this day. When we moved back to Reading um, three years ago, we were in San Francisco, had a wonderful ministry, been on the streets for 12 years, ministering to prostitutes and homeless and drug addicts and, and runaway kids. And we felt grace lifting, but we had no idea where we we're supposed to go. So we went through a time of homelessness, and then we had some provision come in, came in. So we moved into a little 900-square-foot apartment. We called it Taj Mahal. Two-bedroom. We had four children and two of us living in this two-bedroom, 900-square-foot Taj Mahal apartment. So our lease was coming up, and it, our in, the increase of our apartment was astronomical stupid. And we didn't want to pay that much. We were already paying $2,100 a month for a 900-square-foot apartment. It was going up to 2500 And we said, that's a spirit of stupid. So... It's what happens when you live in the Bay Area. God calls you to a place like that. Anyway, so we, we just said, what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? Oh, let's move to Reading. Okay, let's move to Reading. So we decided we're just going to uproot and we'll move to Reading. Now, we didn't, my entire life prior to that was orchestrated by the Holy Ghost. I knew exactly what he wanted. He would tell me, he would lift grace, lift that anointing for that area, and then he would show me a plan for the next. And man, I was ready to go. This time there was nothing. It was silence of heaven. It was, mm, there was nobody home. So we just moved. We had words previous, previous couple years about being in Reading, but there was no timing on those words. So we just decided to go, and we had one thought to serve my brother. So the only thing we went for. So we moved. We moved everything and didn't have a job, didn't have anything. But we moved and we had one thought, well, Sir Bill. So we're still there, but God has evolved the vision and different things. But it's still very clear, I served my brother. So he was in, on vacation and I've been to his house, and he, he, he's one of those collectors. Other people call it hoarders, but he's a collector. <laughs> and his garage showed it. It was a collector's garage. And I just said, this cannot be. So he's on vacation. So I called him up and said, I'm cleaning your garage. He goes, no, 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 no. Not trash, just 
collecting things. Just like 30, 30 years of issues of hunting magazines. Several issues. Several different kinds. Connoisseur of everything. So I, I said, I'm going to clean your garage. He goes, no, 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 no. And I said, well, here, I'll clean it, but I'll call you before I throw anything away. Okay. So I'm on the phone more than I've ever talked to him before in my life. How about this? Can I throw this? No, no, that was special. Someone gave it to me. I said, Bill, uh-oh, I just dropped it. It broke. <laughs> you did not. I said, it was rotten. It was. I said, I promise it was rotten. So some things accidentally got broken. Other things really were broken. I just had to send them pictures. So anyway, a buddy of mine went through and we cleaned his garage and just organized it and redoing it. And my wife went in. He has a little room off to the side, which is his reloading room where he has all kinds of hunting stuff and different things. And so she's in there working in that. And so we decided that we were going to paint the floor too because, you know, a painted garage floor looks good, doesn't it? So we were working on that and cleaned everything up and then even rented little storage things to put extra stuff in there. And just we were working on the floor. We went to Home Depot. I mean Home Depot. It is Home Depot. And, and got some instruction on how to do the floor. So we went and painted the floor. And before that, um, in talking to my brother, he, we were just talking about different things I could throw away and not throw away. And, you know, um, he, he just made this comment. He said, you know, I was going to have the, the floor of the garage painted, and I had a quote, and they quoted me $5,000 to do that. And I said, that's, that, that's kind of stupid. And I said, wow, that's expensive. Now, we had already planned to paint the garage door. And so he just made that reference, and then he hung up, and he looked at Benny, his wife, and said, oh, no. But he said, what? And he goes, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Now he's going to paint my floor because he knows how I am. But we had already planned it, so it was, it was all good. <laughs> so anyway, we, we painted the floor, and then it started bubbling, and we went back to Home Depot and said, what's, what's up? Well, did you do this, this, this? No, you didn't tell us to do this, this. You told us to do this and this. Oh, no, you got to do this step first. Who told you that? He did. <laughs> and the guy goes, oh, he just started two days ago. <laughs> well, he probably shouldn't give out information. He doesn't know, huh? They gave us free stuff, but that doesn't, that doesn't matter because you have to scrape it all off. And so what was going to take us two days to do took us seven because we had to strip the floor three times and repaint it four because they kept telling us wrong. <laughs> it, was, it was bad. But when he came home, um, he was just enamored at the excellence of which his garage looked and still looks to this day. And so we had, we had an assignment, it's serve, and it's still to this day. If I see him need something, I'm, I'm going to get it done. If, he, if he's carrying something, I'm going to grab his stuff and carry it to the car. Because even to this day, I'm going to serve. And so that never stops. There's going to be maybe people that God give you that you're to serve. I have another guy, a friend of mine, Bill Wilson. He's he is the inventor of Sidewalk Sunday School. is the largest Sunday school in America. It's up in New York. Phenomenal man of God. Just an eclectic dude. Just uh, He's like a modern-day apostle Paul. He's been shot, stabbed, beat up, left for dead. Still ticking. Still going strong. And, uh, occasionally, not, not often now, but occasionally, 
in, in prior, I've hung out with him, and, and uh, he, he travels probably a couple, two, 220 days a year all over the world. He has ministries, orphanages, and things going on. And uh, he lives out of a suitcase, and he was buying new shoes and a belt because the other ones wore out. And so when he wasn't looking, I slid my card to the clerk. I said, I'll, I'll do it. And he turned around, and he was getting him his card. And he goes, it's already taken care of, sir. And he looks at me, and I go, dude, go away. It's my honor to be a blessing. And so even though a pair of shoes and in a belt, because he understand they're tools of his trade. Does that make sense? And he wears them all the time, everywhere. It was like a thousand bucks. But it was my honor to serve because I want to sow, as Travis says, when you see something you want, you sow into it. And so that's how your yes affects. My yes, when it began, was servant. And when my yes ends, it's going to be a servant. I'm going to still serve. I never outdo serving. I never outdo. I never graduate to another level. I'm always serving. I serve two ends. I serve those that I want more of, and I serve those that can't pay me anything. I'm going to go to the lowest of the lowest, to the most horrific places, and serve them. I'll wash the homeless feet. I'll put on new socks. Uh, wash the hands and do manicures of transsexuals and transvestites. I'll hold the little orphan girl or boy in my arms and bless them and let them climb all over me when they're infested with lice. I will serve them to the worst and the lowest to those that you would think need no service because they have maybe arrived in someone's book. But I'll never stop doing either. Because the day I stopped doing either is the day I lost it. And so, how does my yes affect? I have um, a conviction yes, which I'm a servant. And I'm going to live out my days serving those forever. That's what I live for. My job is to serve my wife. My job is to serve my children. My job is not to be served by them, except on my birthday. That's the one day I do no diapers. I do no wiping of blessed assurances. I, that's a but. I, I sit and I get to be waited on to a degree. That's it. The rest of the days, my job is to serve and to serve and to serve. So when I come home from serving other people, I come home, my job doesn't end. I sit down on my chair and people serve me. I serve and I serve and I serve. And so, how does my yes affect quick obedience? My quick obedience yeses are in the small things. Listening, anticipating the man or the woman of God that I'm serving. I'm listening and I'm anticipating. I'm serving. I'm, I'm accomplishing what's in their heart to do. And I'm not worried about my dreams because my dreams will come true because I'm serving them. And all of a sudden, they're backdrafted. And I tell people, because I've learned this principle, that people that serve me, serve us and you'll see that your dreams will come true and you don't even know how it happened. Because it's like a backdraft that comes and God just takes you and past your dreams. And all of a sudden you'll look back and you're going, I'm doing everything I've ever wanted. And all I've done was I chose to serve. And so that's an important yes in your ministry life. The quick obedience is... Um, 
I didn't start by praying for blind eyes and them opening. I didn't start by watching the lame walk. I didn't stop, start by watching cancerous tumors disappear. I started um, by taking counseling cases that my brother didn't want and listening to them and all the while listening, wanting to poke my eyes and ears out <laughs> with an ice pick. I know it's a little graphic, but you didn't sit there. <laughs> you weren't listening to the things I had to listen to. But it was my, my job to serve. So my, my yeses were when I was asked to do something, whether it was my calling or not, yes, I'll do it. I didn't pray about it. It wasn't a question, well, does this line up with who I am? One of the problems that I have with young people today, I'm looking at all the young people right now, an issue I have with all y'all <laughs> is this, entitlement. It's that you've arrived. And I remember I told a bunch of young people this, they didn't like it too well. When you're 20, in your 20s, just shut up and listen. Don't say anything. You don't know Jack. Now, I'm going to clarify it at the end. When you're in your 30s, you're starting to learn about life. You make talk a couple times. We're in your 40s. Now you're starting to get it. But nobody really wants to hear what you're saying. And when you're 50, it doesn't really matter anyway. No one wants to hear. So you can say what you want. Now, as part of that is true. The, the entitlement is not all across the board, but there is, well, I've done two, two years of ministry school. I've done two years or three years of this, so I have traveled with people. I have seen the demons flee. Please be careful. Be careful. Do not think you deserve anything. I don't deserve nothing. The, more I, the deeper I get in this, the less I know and the less I'm convinced of, except that God is good. The deeper I get, the more confused I become. But the more I'm sure, I'm just going to serve. I'm just going to serve. It's not, it's not about the accolades. It's not about the demons that run. It's about my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Jesus said it real simple. He said, demons will flee, scorpions will be squished, snakes will run. But don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you, but rather rejoice that your name is written in my book of life. That's all that matters. And so I say that mean, and I say it cautiously to young people. Dream big, go for the gusto, shoot for the moon, but serve, serve, serve. Do not try to line up. But now you're contradicting yourself. You're saying, I need to filter and have this. Yes, unless you're under someone, God has told you to serve the man or the woman of God. Your job, first and foremost, is to serve that man, that woman of God. Everything else is put on the back burner. The Holy Ghost will put it in due season when it's time to turn it up. And sometimes you won't even know it's upon you and it's already boiling. And you're going, how'd that get there? It's because you were focused on serving the man, the woman of God. You caught the Elisha, Elijah. And double portions come in your way. Or you can do it the hard way and go around the mountain a few times and let 
Let it be through trial and error and tribulation and trauma. That way is not very fun. I've done that. So the best way to get ahead of your dreams is to serve and obey quickly. You with me? And then all of a sudden, you're going to do things. You're going, whoa, how'd that happen? I was at, uh, real quick, I tell a story. Um, I was at my brother's church, and I was preaching. And I went to bed. It was a Saturday night I was preaching. I went to bed. I had a dream about a lady who had a dragon on her chest. I woke up Sunday morning. I remember the dream. I told brother, I said, Bill, that lady over there, do you know her? She, he said, yes. And I said, she has a dragon on her chest. And in the dream, um, I took the dragon off, but you're supposed to take the dragon off of her chest. And he, uh, because he's the older, wiser brother, he said, are you staying tonight? I said, no, I wasn't planning on it. And he said, can you? I said, yes. He said, okay, after the service, take it off. See how he turned that on me? I, found, I didn't know what she had, but she had a disease that was incurable, and she had come to church for prayer. And so in my dream, I, had, I saw this dragon on her chest. So she came up after the service. I went over to her, had one of the head intercessors of Bethel come, and, and I told the intercessor there's a dragon on her chest, and the intercessor laughed at me, which wasn't very nice. And I said, just follow my lead. And so I went and said, I saw the dragon, and I, I had the intercessor grab the top paws, and I grabbed the bottom paws. I could see this thing on her chest. And I've never seen a dragon on someone, so I didn't know what to do. I didn't, never read about it in the Bible, so I just started to pull this sucker off because I didn't know what to do with this thing. And so I'm pulling on it, and the paws popped off, and she screamed, and I thought that was, must have been a good thing. And, and so I held, still holding on, and then the bottom paws popped off, and, and I could see it, and that was a good thing. And then there's a pastor behind me. I said, here, grab these paws. So he obliged. He, didn't, he just grabbed air. And I grabbed the tail and the head, and I said, when I count to three, let's pull this off. And they said, okay. So one, two, three, pulled it off. And at that time, I didn't know what to do with it because I hadn't learned what you do with stuff like that. Now I hand it to one of my angels, and then they take care of it. But I just let go, and it just went off. She screamed, and there were holes I saw in her body. So I had the intercessor pray, and those holes filled up. They were spiritual holes of bondage. And I had said, stand up. Now, she, she had one of the worst diagnosed cases of fibromyalgia in the U.S., and so, as fibromyalgia does, sometimes it's crippling, sometimes you're able to survive. She gets up, and I said, I want you to start walking. So she walks around the sanctuary, gets there, and starts running. Her husband's sitting in the front row. He falls in a puddle, starts crying because he's never seen his wife run. And she's running around the sanctuary saying, there's no pain, there's no pain. She goes home from that healed. She skips now with her 16-year-old daughter who has never seen her skip. They would skip to restaurants together because she's totally healed. How come? Well, because this man had a dream about a Komodo dragon on her chest and had the audacity to believe it was from God and pulled the sucker off. Now, you're not going to start by pulling dragons off of ladies' chests. <laughs> and I don't really care if I ever see another dragon as long as I live. But I saw it, I have dreamt about it, and then I saw it, and I had, I'm, now I'm responsible to do that. So I don't write, I didn't write a book on Dragon Slayer, but it would be a good title. Dragon Slayer, Bob Bubba Johnson. <laughs> How to take dragons off of, no. yeah, grab thin air and pull. Shabba. I didn't even say Shabba. I didn't know what to do. So my point is, is your quick obedience will lead you to a place 
by picking up that piece of paper, listening to the one that you're serving, serving and loving the small things will bring you to a place, all of a sudden you're going to have a dream that will revolutionize an entire community and family just by quick obedience. Because if he, if you, if he starts with that dream now and you dream that, you're going to go, that is pizza. I rebuke that pizza dream in Jesus' name. That's absolutely ludicrous. But if he's honed your ability to hear all along the way, then all of a sudden when that dream comes, or you're at a church and you're fighting with the Holy Ghost because he wants to give someone a word, and it's the pastor's wife, and you say, no, I can't because I'm on a roll. And you're fighting with the Holy Ghost the whole time, and finally you give in, and you give the, Holy, the word to the, to the church first. And it, it, it was a true story. It really happened. And I didn't want to give the word because I was preaching so good, which seldom happens. But I stopped. I gave the church a word. And then he said, and I want to prove, I'm going to show this church that I, I will do this word, that within one year, I want you to tell the pastor's wife that she will become pregnant and have a child. I said, oh, whatever. I said, I'm not telling her that. He said, tell her. I said, I'm no fool. You tell her. And so we're fighting back and forth. Who's going to tell her? And I'm not going to tell her because that's, you don't ever give a word to the pastor's wife. That's just something. They teach you that in college. Because that's the neck that turns the head. You don't want to put that neck in a brace. Because then the head won't turn to you. So anyway, I finally lost that argument. I, gave the, I looked at the pastor's wife, which I will not look at any women. I'll just look at you gentlemen. And I said, within one year, God's going to prove this word of the church. He's, you're going to be pregnant. And that's the night I met the Antichrist. Because she looked at me like she wanted to kill me. Eyes red, beams shot out. And I said, are you happy? <laughs> so I closed the service. I ran to the back. I said, Bubba, let's get out of here. I took my associate. We're gone. I said, this is, this is not a friendly place anymore. A little lady comes up and said, crying, Pastor, thank you so much for that word. She just found out this week that she, it's impossible for her to get pregnant. I said, thanks a lot. She walks off. Another little lady comes. Pastor, did you know they've been trying for eight years to have children? Go away. Let's go. <laughs> so we leave. A couple months later, I get a phone call. Only time I get a phone call from a pastor is when they want to rebuke me. It's just the way they work, except for the Bishop Travis. He calls me just, he calls me just to tell me, I love you so much. And then he'll tell me his latest Burning Man joke. Anyway, we're Burning Man buddies. We're, we were separated at birth, but now we're reunited. Like I knew we should reunite. So he called. I knew he was going to rebuke me. He said, do you remember that word you gave the church? And I said, hmm, not really. So he reminded me. He said, do you remember the word that you gave my wife? I said, I didn't know you were married. <laughs> and he reminded me of the word. I said, no, that sounds like something Chris Valentin would do. <laughs> I, I think you have us confused. He said, no, it was you. And I said, oh, no. He said, I just want you to know my wife's pregnant. Oh, yeah, I remember that word. <laughs> Pastor, I had you mixed up with someone else. Oh, of course I remember. 
Let me tell you the story. I was on the way to your church, and an angel of the Lord came in the car. And I was talking to the angel, and I felt led to give your wife a word. The angel said, not yet. So I grabbed the angel. We fought and wrestled in the car. He touched my hip. Now I limp, but I said, I'm giving the word. And so here, I, I was faithful. I was faithful. Oh, glory. Thank you, Jesus. So I hung up the phone. I didn't really say that part. That was a little slight evangelism. Just to make the story funnier, but that's what I was feeling. So when I hung up the phone, I, I, I was ready for the rebuke from Father. And he just said this. I, you know, I started to shrink in the chair. He said, son, I said, yes. <laughs> he said, I just want you to know, if you didn't obey, she wouldn't be pregnant. I go, huh? He said, my word is a seed. And I call those things that don't exist as though they did. I go, whoa. He go, I'm sorry. He said, it's okay. Just don't let it happen again. But you did obey, son. I said, yes, daddy. And then when I went to church, they asked me to come and dedicate their son. The pastor did a faux pas. He said, this is the man responsible for my wife's pregnancy. <laughs> I thought this was a Bible-believing church. I, I didn't have nothing to do with it. Uh-uh, uh-uh. I ain't that kind of preacher. But you're, gonna, you're not starting with those kind of yeses, because those yeses are, you ever see Men in Black, the first one, where he shot the guy's head off and it grew back? Well, that's what happens sometimes with faith. It takes faith to do something. Sometimes you get your head chopped off. It grows back, but it hurts. But you're not, your yeses aren't going to start with those. Your yeses are going to start small because he's got to hone your ability to hear his voice so he can trust you to make a bold declaration. Honey, God's going to prove that this word for this church is true. Within one year, you will have a child. That's crazy unless you heard from God. Now, I know I heard from him, but I didn't want to do it because it's risky. But I'm dumb enough to know I better believe and I better obey because there's other consequences I don't want to have to face. So does your yes affect eternity? Well, she would say so. The little boy would say so. The lady that has no more pain and her family would say so. So how does your yes affect eternity? How does your planned yes affect eternity? Well, see, he orchestrates your little yeses and then your medium yeses and your big yeses so that he can entrust you with other things. Money. Wealth. All of those things are contingent. You know, we say, well, I know that, God, you told me I'm going to have a lot of money. In fact, I've had more prophetic words that I'm going to have more money than I know what to do with than I don't know who else. I used to despise getting those until I was reprimanded by the Holy Ghost, and now I say, give it to me again. Go ahead, give it to me again. Give it to me again. Because I can imagine spending a lot of money. I don't know about you. 
I could spend a few million in one day. That's just one village. Mm-hmm. So, but you have to steward your yeses and understand that there's a destiny you have, and it's important in the small yeses to obey quickly, and even in your strategic yeses. Like the Bible says, the horse is prepared, one of my favorite in Proverbs, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. I think it's Psalms 21, 31, not Proverbs. Somewhere. Oh, no, it's Proverbs 21, 31. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. So it's our responsibility to be prepared. And, and to hone another one of my favorite scriptures, if you can't run with the soldiers, how are you going to keep up with the horses? It's, it's a twofold thing for me. It's also taking care of myself, but it's also taking care of my faith and obeying in faith and being quick to obey and strategic to obey and, and making sure I'm in line with the Holy Spirit. And that's a tough thing to do, especially the strategic yeses, because with my personality and my drive, I get way ahead of God. Because I can take the word for face value and me and the word can go get it accomplished. Because the word says, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but if you say to that mountain, be taken up and cast in the sea, it shall be done for you. That's what it says. So I believe it. If I have faith and do not doubt, what I say will happen. So me and the word can go and accomplish many things. But all of a sudden, I'm way ahead of father. And I'm having to keep those things going. So I understand strategic yeses and obeying those things. But the whole thing has to be monitored and constantly, not second-guessed, but in uniform, in unison with the Holy Ghost. Because Jesus only did what he saw his Father doing. I shared this story yesterday with the pastors, and I've shared it before, but I want to share it again because the Holy Ghost is telling me to. Anybody heard it? Remember Bob Jones? Bob Jones, phenomenal man. He's with Jesus now, prophet. I remember he, the first time he died, God asked him a question. He said, did you learn to love? And Bob said, no. So I'm going to send you back so you can learn how to love. The second and final time he died, he died on Valentine's Day. Hmm, a little, little weird, huh? No. God said, yes, this man has learned to love. I'm going to take him home on Valentine's Day. That's crazy awesome. So he told me a story. He said, Bob, I see you in your evangelistic uh, ministry. I see you in crusades and seeing the lost come to know Jesus. I see you before tens of thousands of people preaching the blind seeing, the deaf hearing, the lame walking, the dead are raised, the demons are delivered, and he, everything that an evangelist wants to hear. He just told me all the stuff I must see. And man, I'm just getting excited because, you know, a truth is confirmed, two or three witnesses, and Bob's at least two witnesses. <laughs> so, so I'm just excited. He goes, but that's not what I'm talking about. And I said, all right. And he said, now, when you're done with that crusade, I want you to go back to your place where you're staying. I want you to go in the bathroom and lock the door, and I want you to sit by the toilet. Yes, sir. And once you lift up the lid, and I want you to talk to the toilet. Yes, sir. 
I want you to tell the toilet everything that happened that night, all the souls that were saved, the blind eyes that were opened, the demons that fled, the dead that were raised, the deaf that heard. I want you to tell the toilet all the stuff that happened when you can't remember anymore. Close the lid and flush the toilet. Wash your hands. Get ready for bed. Lay in bed and say, thanks, Dad. That was fun. What do you want to do tomorrow? Go fishing? Yeah, but I have a crusade tomorrow. Tomorrow night I have the crusade. Go fishing. Yes, sir. He said, keep the main thing the main thing. You are a part of what's going on. He said, sometimes you'll do a crusade where thousands are saved. And then you need to know when the Holy Ghost is talking. Because the next day you may not do the crusade. Because he wants you to go fishing. Could you imagine the audacity that would be? The humiliation upon me and the total disrespect for the people that I would be doing because I would not come because I'm supposed to go fishing. But that's the point he made to me. He said, it's about one thing. And that's doing what he says to do. So everything you do, your yeses will bring to a place. It won't change. It's still dependent on him. Where you'll in one day see the thing that you always dreamed of. And you're amped and ready to go for the next day. But then all of a sudden, he goes, no, we're going to go fishing. Boy, you take your kids fishing. Because what's important in heaven? What I do, what he says. Now, it's easy right now because I'm not preaching before 100,000 people. I'm just preaching before the thousands. But I wonder what it's going to be when I'm in front of the millions. Because it's really easy to keep going on the yes and the word and the go. But that's why it's important for me now to obey the yes. It never changes. It doesn't get easier. Because the higher up you go, <laughs> the, the bigger the equation is. Another story, Bob Jones, he was going to this meeting to preach. I'm not even close to being where he was yet. Not even close to his toenail. But he got up to preach, and the Holy Ghost said, don't say a word. He said, Okay. So he stood there and smiled for 45 minutes. <laughs> Thousands of people in the audience. He just, just, he just looked at people and smiled. <laughs> 45 minutes. And then he, Holy, Holy Ghost said, sit down. So he did. And, and he sat down and the Holy Ghost said, they came to see you tonight. All right. So the next night, he wasn't expecting anybody to come. It was double the crowd. And the Holy Spirit says, okay, they're here, they're here to hear me tonight. You can talk. I always have something to say. Because I'm full of the words. I always have something to say. 
but does he always want me to say? And that's the place where as you are obedient in learning your yes in, in the effect of eternity, man, I want to be that one that obeyed to the nth. Because as I do that, he will entrust more and more of the anointing, that which I want. So then when my shadow hits people and I'm not even aware of, they're instantly healed. That has to be earned through faith and obedience and honing in to what God is saying. My brother says it eloquently. Salvation is free. Everything else you have to pay for. Amen. Amen.